Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. I'm feeling like the church is a little lopsided today. I don't know what's going to happen, but I feel like uh, I need to do one of those like cheering things. <laughs> I just want to see how well you guys do. But um, <clears throat> in rural Oregon, you know, on April of uh, 2013, Hannah and Haley Smith, um, that's them, they were outside and they heard some screaming. And they ran out to see what it was. And they saw their father, him, on the ground. And he was yelling, save me. And the tractor, he was pulling up stumps, and the tractor flipped over onto him. Now, obviously, he was in a lot of pain. Uh, the tractor was pushing down on his chest, so every breath was a struggle. Um, he obviously had several broken bones. Um, Hannah called 911. But the girls knew that any sort of emergency services would take at least the half an hour to get to their father. Uh, so they went to work. At first, they tried to dig out from underneath him um, so he could wiggle out. But that wasn't working. And the father started um, slipping in and out of consciousness. And so then out of desperation, they tried to lift the tractor. And the tractor moved, like just a little. Um, and their father gulped some air. And then they lifted it again. And the tractor shifted a bit more. And the father you know, breathed again. And so they kept doing it. Um, by the end, those two little girls um, moved the tractor three feet to save their father. Now Hannah, the older sister, um, that's her in the blue. Uh, she was 16. She is five feet, three inches tall. She weighed 125 pounds. Haley, uh, her sister, there in the plaid, is 13. And the tractor is 3,000 pounds. Now, I, I use this story because uh, there was so much documented evidence of the girls' exploits. Because you always hear stories, but this one, there were just so many stories about it. Um, there were, so I, I used it. But throughout the ages, there's been lots of reports of people that demonstrate superhuman strength, like in times of emergency. There's even a term for it. Uh, it it's called hysterical strength. Um, it seems as if at times of emergency, people are able to do just incredible physical things. It's as if their will, their determination is more powerful and stronger than whatever physical object is hindering them. And we commonly say it's adrenaline, but studies have shown that uh, people that are given a shot of adrenaline are only just a marginally stronger than people without. So it's not adrenaline, but in times of emergency, there's just something strange going on uh, between a person their desperation, and the thing they're trying to do. Now, I don't know what to make of that. You know, I, I mean, as a Christian, I do believe, like, God works. So maybe that's that. But what if you don't have faith? There's always, um, there are always going to be some difficulty trying to understand the relationship uh, between the physical world 
and our mental world, right? The interior mind. Um, and that's historic. People have always tried to figure out like, okay, how much does the mind matter? Like, what can I control with my mind? Um, how much does will matter? Because we know that what we think can often affect our bodies and our physical responses. Uh, numerous studies have shown the benefits of uh, meditation, right? lower blood pressure, better sleep, lower risk of heart disease. And then there's like mental and emotional benefits, reduced stress and anxiety, mental clarity, um, you know, improvement in depression symptoms. And there are even like certain meditative practices that, uh, that the Navy SEALs use, um, like tactical breathing or box breathing to, um, to, to overcome flight and fight, flight or fight responses or to improve their concentration depending on the task. Now, um, these are benign ways that our minds seem to have control over our physical bodies and circumstances. But what if we start privileging our mind? What if we say that our mind is really where things matter? Uh, this world, it's illusion. This world is fake. But your mind, your spirit, that's what really matters. That this world, the physical body, including your world, is at best an illusion, and at worst, it's just a cage. And through discipline, sacrifice, meditation, and training, you can break that illusion, or at least you can lessen its grip on you. Now, that is the prevailing physical thought in Colossae that the Apostle Paul was arguing against. And we're not sure exactly which uh, philosophical schools of thoughts um, were active in Colossae in the time. It was probably some form of Stoicism, but it could have been um, Cynicism because that was kind of growing in popularity. It was having a resurgence. But whatever specific school the ideas came from, they advocated just this, this dualistic model of the world, that the mental and spiritual self was privileged. It was superior and pure. And the physical world, including our bodies and everything in it, was corrupt, evil, and needed to be overcome. And the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians, spends quite a bit of time refuting, arguing against the split. So this week, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at what it means that Jesus came in the flesh. Next week, we're going to look at the folly of fixating on the flesh. And then in two weeks, we're going to look at living in the redeemed flesh. It's like a little mini-series inside of the larger series of Colossians that we're doing. So with all of that, Let's read Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 15. So then, just as you receive Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, our Lord, as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, 
was put off when you were circumcised in Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who, is, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, I'd like to start by just focusing on verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, this verse is often used to attack uh, worldviews, right? Uh, so um, worldviews that we might consider hostile. Um, it can be used to attack higher education, philosophy. But Paul wasn't attacking learning. He wasn't attacking education. As you read the writings of Paul, it's obvious that he's quite intelligent and he has a lot of working knowledge of the prevailing uh, philosophies of the day. He's obviously at least somewhat educated. But he's warning not to get stuck, not to get stuck in these ideas, not to base your life in ideas that remove oneself from Christ. Um, especially since the philosophy of the time is often focused on uh, the nature of things and the source of things. Um, he was just warning us that if things have their nature and source outside of Christ, then beware. But there's also a couple of other interesting things um, in this verse. He mentions human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Now, human tradition in the New Testament often refers to Jewish religious laws. Jesus spent a lot of time combating human tradition that became so rigid that it hurt people. And elemental spiritual forces um, of the world, it seems to reference uh, many of the Greek cosmologies, which attempted to explain creation through an understanding of all the different types of elements. Okay? And uh, there was you know, some belief if you could achieve balance between these elements, um, you could achieve some sort of spiritual mastery. So there'd be extreme fasts or exposure to different sorts of elements uh, to achieve a mastery of the spirit. But Paul is saying both of those are wrong. Both of those are wrong. Because whether you're refraining from eating pork or fasting to discipline the body against desire, there's a presupposition that your body is uh, something to be dominated. That your body um, is bad. That your body is bad. But through scripture, that's not quite right. It's not quite right. I mean, there is a lot of talk about you know making sure and taking captive your body and or you know control of your body and self-control. But the body's not evil, it's not meant to be evil. For in Christ the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Okay, the body is not evil because God because uh, all of God, all of God's power, holiness, goodness, could inhabit the body of Christ. And if flesh is evil, it wouldn't be able to hold God, right? but it did. Uh, the apostle John also affirmed this in his gospel. As the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God as a person. And, and, every, and every part 
of that person, that person, that body of Jesus was good. All the embarrassing parts, all the, all the strange parts, Jesus got hungry, okay? He got thirsty. If he worked too hard, his muscles probably got sore. He had a penis. He had the poop. Like, he had gas. He got thirsty and hungry. God was fully human in Jesus. The fullness of deity lived in bodily form. Furthermore, in Christ, we find ourselves brought to fullness. It's like we become more embodied in Christ. We find ourselves more human, more human, because sin, it corrupts our bodies. Uh, remember, sin is death, it's separation. It's separation from the one who holds all of life together. Um, it's kind of like a piece of fruit that's harvested. It might look fresh and vibrant and full of life, but it's dead. It's cut off from all the source um, of nutrients, which it needs to grow to its fullness. Sin makes us less than human, less than what we're supposed to be. But in Christ, we are brought to fullness. We become fully alive. And I, I hesitate to say fully human because of all the connotations sometimes that this type of language has. But in Christ and through Christ and his ultimate authority over all the powers and authority of sin and death and this world, it has been broken. And our flesh, our flesh has been redeemed and restored. And Paul compares this to circumcision, uh, which is uh, evidence of tribal affiliation for Abraham's de descendants. Okay, now there's no way to talk about circumcision without being a little awkward, but here you go. The penis is involved in procreation, just so you know. Um, Every new person in the tribe was made through a circumcised penis, okay? Life was created through a sign of belonging to God. But that's only surface deep. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets talked about the need of a circumcised heart, right? Where the spiritual and the physical self will match up. And Jesus circumcises the heart. Therefore, the new sign of belonging and inclusion is no longer the circumcision, it's baptism. Okay? A movement from death, spiritual and physical death, to life. Okay? Baptism is a sign of birth. Before, it was a cut-up penis that represented a future promised by God to be in relationship. Now it's baptism. Now it's baptism. But through the forgiveness of sin, he destroyed the record of debt that we owed. With its requirements that worked against us, he canceled it by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He exposed them to public disgrace. Jesus is the fullness of God. Life incarnate subjected himself to death. In his birth, God came from heaven and earth, the physical realm. He interacted with it. He limited himself. He allowed himself to be subject to all the powers and authorities of this realm, all the way to the point of death, physical death. But death could not hold God. God could not stay separated from God, so Christ ascended. Right? He was resurrection, resurrected. And his ascension showed how little the power, the rulers and authorities of this world really have. They have no authority over God. And that made us a way to follow. Now, um, I have this little illustration 
that I'd like to use to show you what I mean. It's not a perfect analogy because nothing ever is. That's why they're an illustration. But this is how I think of it. All right. I have two pieces of cloth. Okay. Heaven and earth. Okay. This is Jesus. Jesus comes down from heaven to earth. Okay, yeah. Okay, now heaven and earth are connected. But Jesus, he subjects himself to the point of death. He goes through. Okay. Now, but he ascends. He comes, all right, he goes back up to the Father. And now all of a sudden, oops, sorry, I'm doing this. Heaven and earth are connected. There's a way, there's a path, right? There's a line, you can follow the thread. There's a line back. Now, ultimately, in the fullness of God, heaven and earth are gonna come together in the end. But, you see what I mean? Jesus makes a way, he makes a way and baptism, it symbolizes that going under and coming back up to heaven. Because people were made for life, a life with God. Not just the spiritual life, but the physical and spiritual life. A sensual life. Like, as in, with all of your physical senses, with God. Um, and I don't know how all that's going to work. Um, but, we're being conformed more and more to his likeness every day as we follow him. And if you follow Christ, you get to be conformed more and more to his likeness every day as you follow him. So, practicalities. What does this mean? Learn to love your body. You don't get to be a different person. You get to be who you are more fully who you are, but it's still who you are. You don't get to be somebody else. You are you. Okay, Your resurrected body will be perfected. But that doesn't mean that you turn into God. Uh, your bodies in some ways will still have limitations um, because you're never going to be God. And I, I don't know what the limitations will be, but there'll, there'll be some sort of limitations. But you'll be perfected for relationship with him, for relationship with one another. So do you like who you are, what God created? Because God does. Okay, there are things we can do to affect our body, right? We can lose weight and gain weight or, or some other things like that. But essentially the shape, who we are, our physical self, that's who we are. And God made that. God likes that. It was made on purpose that way. He likes your physical body. He died to receive, to redeem your physical body. And so, it actually matters what our physical bodies do, how we treat our body. That's why sexual morality matters. That's why alcohol matters. That's why drugs matter, right? Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It all matters because we are matter. And we matter to God. So, 
learn to love our bodies. Learn to worship with our bodies. Okay, this is hard. It's a whole other way. We're really good at like praying and thinking things, but disciplining our bodies, that's harder. Second, other people's bodies matter. Love other people's bodies. That's a, one of why one of the Covenant Church's core affirmations is a commitment to the whole mission of the church. Sometimes we act like our spiritual lives are the only things that matter. But if a person's freezing to death, they need a coat. Um, they need housing. I mean, after all, if somebody steals a car and then sells it and then uses the money to pay for a down payment for an apartment, is that a spiritual problem or a physical problem? The flesh and the soul are interwoven. If a person prostitutes themselves for drug money, is that a problem of the flesh or a problem of the soul? Or make it more personal. If I overeat, which sometimes I intend to do, if I overeat to the point of causing health problems to myself, while other people in my community struggle for proper nutrition, is that a problem of my flesh or a problem of my heart? This is 1 John uh, 3, 16 through 18. This is how we know what the love of God is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words and, or speech, but with actions and in truth. Other people's bodies matter. Their circumstances matter because people matter to God. They matter so much that Jesus died for them. They matter as much to Jesus as I do. And, and so I advocate. I advocate for being personally generous, for buying groceries for people in need, for helping with heating bills and, and gas. But I also advocate for larger social actions um, that are bigger than what one, one person can do themselves, for housing, funding, um, rezoning of properties, tax policies, all that stuff. And, and that's why I often repeat, everybody has to do that themselves. But we should be motivated with the love of God in whatever we do. So I encourage you on that side of things. Okay, they matter. People matter. Your neighbor matters. Our bodies matter to God. Because in Christ, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Our soul matters to God. Our, our mind, our intellect matters to God. Because God made it all. He made it all. He made all those parts go together. And Christ has come to redeem it all. He has come to redeem our dead flesh, our sin-indebted souls, our corrupted minds, Christ has come in the flesh. He died in the flesh and was resurrected in the flesh. And this is why, this is why Paul wrote, right? Um, verse five and or six and seven are, are really kind of like it's kind of like the thesis statement for Colossians. Uh, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Right? Paul is writing these things so we can live in our bodies 
interacting with other people in their bodies, proclaiming the Lord with our bodies. And so this morning, um, as we take the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ with communion, I pray we can remember that. That who you are is important. That your physical self, your embarrassing things that you don't like about yourself, you know, how your nose is crooked, how, how your toe, one toe is longer than the other. I don't know. Um, so your cowlicks, that matters. God loves it. God loves you. And God loves your neighbors, your friends. And he's training us up to lay down our lives as Christ laid down his life for us. He's training us up to look out for their interest as well. Let's pray. Holy Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, for you being an Emmanuel, a God with us, who chose, us, who chose to join us, to not keep separate from us, Lord, and who makes a way for us to grow for us to grow um, rooted in you, built up and strengthened in you, Lord God. Lord, teach us to be overflowing with thankfulness for the redemption that you offer, Lord. Teach us to proclaim with thankfulness and gratefulness the love that you have for all of us. Lord, teach us how to follow your sacrificial path, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to learn how to, to serve our neighbors as you served us. Give us, give us clear eyes and full hearts, Lord. Give us a strong back so we can do that work. Give us, give us purposeful hands, Lord, so we can engage in that work. Give us, um, give us strong legs so we can, so we can walk this path. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.